Welcome to the Everything ECU podcast. I am your host, Carla Ward, and today I have Anna Valle Rivera of Early Years Thriving joining me to discuss trauma-informed care. This is a very critical topic for us to learn in early childhood education. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. So before we dive too far in, tell us a little bit about yourself and the reasons why you advocate for trauma-informed care. Well, um, without going into my whole history of my life, um, I grew up in East Vancouver and grew up with a lot of peers around me who experienced trauma um, in the home and in the community. And at the time, I had no idea that that was even happening because when you grow up in that environment, you don't really put two and two together and you're a child and stuff like that. Um, I ended up working with children in the community where I grew up. And um, as a childcare provider, I realized I need to learn more about this environment, what's going on, how do I help children who, you know, may um, have been taken away from their home in foster care, um, experience or witness abuse, neglect, you know, really serious stuff. And so I started learning more about trauma in university, actually not even in ECE. Um, and I realized this is really important stuff that early childhood educators should know. Uh, I also worked in mental health and ended up leaving that job. But while I was uh, working in mental health, my family experienced a trauma uh, that I won't go into, um, but it was something that really changed my perspective as a parent, um, as a uh, childcare professional. And um, during that time, I got to take a 30-hour certificate course on infant and childhood mental health. It's a really great co course that is provided through the Sick Kids Ontario um, Association. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I guess, like, I got all of this experience, life experience, and then um, professional experience. And then I realized this is such important stuff for all educators to know. So that's why I um, I speak on trauma. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us today, because I think we can all benefit from learning more or learning in the first place. For some of us, we have been in this beautiful bubble um, and maybe we don't know. And this is a great opportunity for all of us to kind of have our eyes open to some situations that our students are dealing with. Um, so let's start with the definition. What is trauma? Awesome. That's an awesome place to start always. Uh, so trauma, it's important to understand that trauma is not an event. There are events that could, uh, you know, be experienced as trauma, but trauma itself is not an event. It is how the child experiences what has happened to them and also how they continue to experience it because they may, uh, you know, have memories of that trauma and it could impact them for a very long time. Um, trauma can also be uh, defined as being acute, which is like a one-time trauma, like a, a hospitalization. Um, it could be complex, um, which means that uh, it 
you know, involves multiple layers, very invasive uh, source of trauma. It could be chronic, um, meaning it's ongoing. Um, it could be vicarious trauma and educators, we can experience vicarious trauma or parents um, if our children or the children that we work with have experienced trauma. Um, and there's also intergenerational trauma that can be expressed um, you know, uh, through a family and, and transferred through a family um, through generations. So to really understand trauma, it's important to understand adverse childhood experiences um, and know like, what are the events? Like, what are these events that could potentially be traumatic for children and things like, um, you know, a family having substance abuse or a family um, experiencing, a child experiencing or witnessing violence, neglect, um, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, any kind of abuse. Uh, maybe there might be some mental health challenges happening in the family or, or some sort of illness happening in the family that makes it really hard for the parents to be uh, responsive caregivers and be there for their children in the way that, you know, they, they would like to be, but there are challenges for them as the parents to be able to do that for um, the child. There may be, you know, reasons for a parental separation from the child, like uh, the child going into foster care, the parent going to jail, um, the parent maybe even passing away or a, a loved one, a caregiver um, passing away. So these are potentially traumatic events. Um, there are other things too that, you know, just happen in, in life uh, and that can just happen to children. Things like if they're experience a natural disaster here in BC, we had forest fires and flooding, um, things that displace children from their homes. Um, you know, a child like getting into a car accident and having some sort of illness or injury, um, needing some surgery, uh, something like that could be uh, traumatic. If there is any sort of violence uh, or crime happening in the community, there could be uh, risk factors in the community that could um, create some sort of trauma, or there are, again, like even more serious things, you know, um, kidnapping, school violence, um, shootings, and things like that. And I'm going to add in here a global pandemic, which we no. all experienced. No, absolutely. And, and, and with the pandemic, we're still even all these years later, we are still seeing the effects on our children of what that trauma looks like for many of them. Yeah, yeah, we really, really are. And you know, I, it's June right now, right? So we've got uh, children going to kindergarten really soon. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this particular group of children progresses through school, because the, the children going to school right now are actually the children who were toddlers um, when that global pandemic was first declared and it was, you know, it, it first happened. So um, it's going to be interesting, you know, to see what happens because even within BC, um, there was a article or a, uh, goodness, the news covered it about, you know, characteristics that parents and, and mostly like teachers and pediatricians are seeing with children who are right now in grade two and grade three, who were uh, four and five when the pandemic first hit. So, yeah, interested to see what happens there for sure. It's it's going to be really really interesting and I mean different podcast episode for sure is we're going to have to adjust our teachings because we can't ask these children to completely adjust who they are based on their experiences. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um so on that note, I don't know if you want me to um talk about how trauma might impact learning and learners. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like what as an educator might we see um, even if we don't know a child has experienced trauma, like what might be, you know, hints that there's something. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So before I dive into that, like it is really important to know that we can't know everything there is to know. And we can't know if a child is um, experiencing trauma like in this moment, or if their characteristics, you know, the, um, the way that they are behaving or it's presenting may be tied back to something that happened, you know, when they were an infant or years ago. So that's really first, first of all, important to clear up. And it's also important to note that no children will uh, experience an event in the same way. So two children could go through the same event, but totally experience it in a different way. Uh, And also depending, you know, it depends on their age, um, circumstance, uh, any protective factors around them. And I'll talk about protective factors um, in a second. But some common characteristics would be um, things like experiencing fear, anxiety, you know, worry, there may be heightened sensitivity. So we see what is known as hyperarousal or the, you know, children who are um, having a hard time focusing, sitting still, concentrating, paying attention, recalling information, you know, these are all things that are essential for learning. But also, if a child has experienced something traumatic, these are the things that they were going to have challenges with, you know, other things that may indicate a child has experienced trauma, they may become really interested in death and understanding death. And again, it depends on the type of trauma that they experience. They may have challenges with sleeping or eating, um, show some regression in some skills, like maybe they were fully potty trained and all of a sudden they are just having accidents all day and we can't quite figure out why this is happening. And there may be, uh, you know, huge challenges with uh, with emotions and big emotions and emotions that look like, uh, you know, the child went from zero to 100 in a split second and now they're super angry, irritable. Um, there are some other things that are more serious that can indicate that, you know, a trauma is happening or has happened. Having uh, lots of outbursts, like I said. Um, constantly feeling scared, looking for threats, feeling withdrawn, uh, a child looking, you know, depressed, hopeless, uh, scared, or avoiding certain places, people, events. Um, so for example, like a child who has experienced a hospital trauma may have a fear of people or places that are associated with that event or that remind them of that event. And it causes a, a trigger for them. Uh, things like, you know, the the lighting could be irritating them, especially if it's like fluorescent lighting that reminds them of being in the hospital or certain smells that remind them of being in the hospital. So it's really hard to know 100% for sure. But I, I do want to emphasize that if a child ever discloses that they are being harmed or witnessing that they are being harmed, that's a huge red flag. And 100%. we need to, yeah, we need to follow our child care protocol and of course, 100% duty to report to Child Protective Services. And then once we do that, they take over, you know, um, they take over the protective uh, pieces of that around the family and things like that. But there are things that we could do in our child care program to support these children who are having challenges with learning, you know, ch- um, challenges with the big emotions um, and and that, those sorts of things. Absolutely. And anybody that's an early childhood educator, our number one job is to keep children safe. So that duty to report is crucial. Absolutely. But then moving on to the next part is, so we have a child that I don't want to say recovering from trauma. I'm not sure what the right terminology is, 
but somebody has, you know, duty to report or they're working with the child, the child has experienced the trauma. So it's in the past, but the trauma is not, how do we help them? Yeah. And thank you for emphasizing that, by the way, that, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to repeat what you just said. The trauma is in the past, but it's, it's still impacting them, right? Like it's still, it will still impact them for a very long time. So that's really important to note um, when we think about how we can help. So there are lots of things that we can do to act as protective factors. So we'll talk about protective factors. We can be a community support partner for the parent um, or for the family and definitely for the child. And depending on, you know, what the trauma is. Um, It could look like referring families to child development services um, or child and youth mental health services or infant and child and youth mental health services if you have that available in your neighborhood. Um, It can also look like, you know, supporting parents to access something for themselves. Um, There is this great website online uh, that is available to Canadians um, and it's called Wellness Together Canada and parents can go on there. um, Anybody can go on there and seek uh, counseling support. Um, Ultimately, it is up to the parents to you know, make that call to get support for their child, counseling support or um, psychological support for their child. But we can definitely, you know, um, provide resources. And in that way, we are being a community protective factor. We can also be a direct protective factor for that child when they are in our care. And that will look like, you know, I've broken it down into like three main things here is looking like a responsive caregiver. We be the responsive caregiver, you know, take a primary caregiver approach, especially with new children, um, you know, start to build that relationship with parents and and have somebody who is the main contact. That's what being the primary caregiver looks like is being that main contact, that main person to help the child feel safe and transition into childcare. Um, and then that's that main person for the parent to connect to. When parents feel connected with us, they're going to be more open with us and especially open about the history of the child and things that may have happened in that child's life that gives us an insight into, ah, okay, now I understand like this certain thing could be a trauma trigger for this child. Um, we want to second uh, app to being a primary caregiver, taking the primary caregiver approach, pardon me, uh, we want to create spaces with lots of opportunity for play. Amen. And this is going to be play. Yes, right? Play, like being like, having a play based programming is trauma informed care, because children are going to want to act out sometimes, um, you know, and make meaning of their world of what happened to them of what, you know, their experiences have been. And so making sure that we have lots of opportunity for play is really, really important inside and outside and especially outside, um, where there's, you know, the freedom to explore to connect with nature to have, you know, sunlight and fresh air and, you know, put their little feet on the ground, take their shoes off, all this wonderful stuff that's so good for um, child development, you know, and and mindfulness and connecting with earth and stuff like that. These are all going to be really great things for children who have experienced some sort of trauma and all children, really. Um, and then the last thing that I want to, um, you know, share here is uh, creating opportunity for artistic expression. So uh, making sure that we have lots of 
materials uh, for representational play, representational art. And then, of course, there are other things that come along with having a play-based programming, like having lots of sensory um, to explore, having, you know, um, inquiry-based curriculum that supports whatever their interests are. So, for example, a child who may have experienced uh, a hospital trauma may come out of that trauma, you know, really curious and wanting to learn about death and human body and you know explore like the science behind it and and that play may make you feel uncomfortable but when you are working with inquiry and an inquiry programming you know you're you're taking this approach of walking alongside children you know supporting their meaning making and scaffolding and extending in ways that are healthy and healing and explorative and it just helps that that child and the children so much um, so much more. Absolutely. And I would even say the dramatic center, like if you know that a yes. child has been through, you know, a hospital trauma treading lightly because you don't want to re-trigger them, but yeah. maybe having a doctor's office in the dramatic center and allowing them to role play. Yes. Right. Yes. And experience it in a safe space. Yes. And letting the child lead because that's, that's how we avoid that you know, mishap of, uh, it's sometimes it's unavoidable, right, to trigger trauma, but like, to avoid it, we let the child lead, like maybe they're not interested in that in that doctor's office play, but they are interested in learning every single bone in the body, right? And so then it's like, oh, a deep dive into bones, but then that might lead to, okay, like, what happens when somebody gets hurt? And um, where do they go? And, you know, how do doctors help? Or how do nurses help? Like, the, it it can lead to that. But uh, when we take when we work with an uh, inquiry based curriculum, and we are doing observation, and we're, you know, documenting, and we're mindfully putting out uh, invitations to play, we can do this work, this trauma-informed care, you know, integrating trauma-informed care and play um, in, in, in a more natural, mindful, careful way that can really support children and, and help them make meaning of their experiences. And it might feel uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. It might be uncomfortable for us as educators, uh, for parents, for other children, you know, to see this. But I think it's important to allow that space and play to occur um, because it is helpful to that child. And we deal with it in the same way we would with any other child, any other situation, any other exploration, right? Um, we deal with it in the way that we have been taught uh, to honor play and all types of play, even the play that makes us feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I want to circle back to the uncomfortable part because it really is incredible how much we have to check ourselves. Like I have had some students in my program where they were almost too little to remember some of the experiences that they had, but unfortunately they still have the physical um, outcomes of situations that they were in. Um, And I knew what had happened and it was hard. It was very hard for me. And I had to learn how to not always look at this child with such pity because that's not helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can be empathetic but I can still support this child through their development and moving forward. 
And it really is making sure that we self-reflect on our own emotions. And like you said, walk alongside the child with the inquiry um, learning and the inquiry practice so that we're following their interest. Just because I think the child needs a doctor's office in the dramatic center, but they're, like you said, interested in bones. Well, maybe dinosaur bones is the way to start. Like it really is going deeper and getting out of our way so that we can help the children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. And what you just, you know, what you've just communicated is taking a strength-based approach and looking at the child from a strength-based approach to help them build that resiliency and to help them make meaning of their experiences. And I want to just really quickly talk about, um, can I circle back to big emotions really quickly? Because we're talking about, we're talking about like things that could potentially like trigger a child, you know, and sometimes it could happen, you know, out of nowhere. We don't know what the actual trigger is. Uh, If we have insight into it, that's great because we can try to avoid it again or try to avoid certain things. But if a child goes from, you know, zero to a hundred and is having those big emotions and a huge meltdown, um, you know, the best way that we can help a child who goes through those big emotions is to, especially if we know that they have experienced trauma, is to show them that we, we are a, a safe person. Um, we are uh, their buffer. And when I took that course on uh, infant and childhood mental health, um, Dr. Jean Clinton, she's she amazing. amazing. I love her. She's amazing. Okay. So she talked about being a buffer person, which is like that person who is that safe person, you know? And and when we see that child escalate from zero to a hundred and we're there, and we don't know what just happened, like going up to them with logic and being like, what just happened? What just happened? Oh my goodness. Like, it's not going to help, but just showing up as this person who has empathy for them, loves them, you know, even says to them, like, I'm here. I'm, you're safe. I'm here. You know, it's okay. Like, I see that you're upset and it's okay to like address boundary issues that are happening. Like, I see that you're upset or I see that you're sad. You still can't throw the Lego at your friend. Like, please don't throw the Lego at your friend. But you know what? I'm here for you. Like, let me sit with you. Let's read a book. Let's, you know, I I want to give you a hug. Is that okay? Can I give you a hug? Or, you know, some children might not want to be touched. So just sit, sit beside them and just be like, I'm here for you. Right. And so I just wanted to circle back to that because we're talking about trauma triggers and what you know, I thought it might be helpful to talk about like what we could do to really show up as that responsive caregiver um, for these children who have experienced trauma and are experiencing big emotions. And then what, you know, when that child calms down, we can totally revisit those big emotions and the emotional outburst in a calm way. Like, so earlier, remember when, you know, you threw your Lego at your friend, like, what are some other things we can do? What are some, um, you know, other ways we could handle that next time? How can I help you, um, you know, next time that you're feeling this particular emotion and just having that emotions be something that we talk about a lot in the classroom, not in a theme-based way, like not not in that sort of way, like we're just going to cover it one week and then put it away for a year, but like constantly, every day, you know, taking the chance, taking the time, uh, the opportunity to talk about emotions is going to be so helpful for children um, with 
challenges with big emotions, whether it's rooted in trauma or not. And this is how we make trauma-informed care something that's foundational in ECE and that can be applied to all children. Definitely, definitely. And while you were talking, I always remember, and it's I still do it in my tutoring sessions, is I'll bring up something. Somebody will say like, oh, like, what are you watching on YouTube? And I hate that that's a conversation that happens in kindergarten, <laughs> but it is. And sometimes I'll be like, oh my gosh, I watched the saddest video. It was making me cry. And the children just look at you and they're like, you cried? I said, oh my gosh, I cry all the time. And you don't think it's something that makes an impact. But I have a student that I've been with for years. And every week she asked me, did you cry this week? I said, oh yeah, definitely. And she'd be (laughs) like, why? Well, you know, I was really stressed about this or, you know, I just, I was watching a really sad commercial. I'm a sucker if there's a song in the background. And I have watched her become more in touch with her emotions of, oh, you can cry and still be a strong person. Like they're not separate emotions. It's okay to cry. And it's so interesting because she never cried as a child. Like it was something that always concerned her mother was my child doesn't cry. Like she'll get angry, but she won't cry. And it's something that through just me honestly talking about a YouTube video where the sweet little dog had, I think it went and grabbed toilet paper. Like it was just one of those videos. (laughs) And she's like, you cried over that. I'm like, anytime there's music and a dog in a video, I'm done. Like I'm an absolute puddle on the floor. And she's like, what? She's like, that's so weird. I was like, but it's not. I'm like, crying is good for the soul. Mm -hmm. So really just absolutely encouraging those motions in an authentic way, not Mm -hmm. a picture of a smiley face. This is happy. Then the face is suddenly red. This is angry. Like that's not authentic. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And I love, so I love it because this is all uh, supporting integration of the brain. It supports, you know, um, the logical thinking parts of our brain with the big, where the big emotions come from, right? And we do, we can't do that integration when the child's in survival mode, when they, they are in that like heightened, you know, hyper arousal mode, when they are um, not within their window of tolerance when they're not within that um that calm space that space where you know they can learn and absorb we do that integration and that learning when we are in connection when we are calm um like exactly what you're talking about when you're having this conversation with this child about the video that you watch how it made you feel you know it's like all of that is I think people don't realize and maybe educators and caregivers like we don't realize how impactful those tiny little moments are for supporting the integration of the logical parts of our brain and the emotion parts of the brain, Um, especially for our little ones, our children. Yes, absolutely. And I also want to note that all the links that you've talked about, um, especially the mental health course, which I feel we can all benefit from. I will make sure that all the links are below so that we can be, you know, touching on those emotional parts of the brain as well as the logical parts of the brain. But sometimes we all need help on how to do it authentically. It's not something that just happens overnight. So, so appreciate you sharing all of that with us and the links and 
is there anything we missed on the trauma-informed care <laughs> side of things? I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours on this topic, yeah, um, but I know that totally this is could. <laughs> right. And I know though, that this is something, I mean, this is something you talk about as your career, as part of early years thriving. And I know that you've got a big summit coming up. So share your wisdom with us, please, of how we can learn more from you. Okay. I love it. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. Um, I do want to share two more resources. If anybody is really interested in learning more about the brain and where my references come from, I love to give credit where credit is due. Um, The Whole Brain Child is an amazing book, um, and it is written by Daniel Siegel and um, Tina Bryerson. So that's where I uh, get most of my information, um, you know, current information, have gotten most of my current information on um, brain and integration and stuff like that. So if you're interested, go check that out. There's also another amazing book. It's called The Deepest Well um, by Nadine Burke Harris. And she does do a TED talk on the impacts of uh, adverse childhood experiences and how that impacts children and actually adults throughout their life, uh, how it impacts humans throughout their lifespan. So that's a really great TED talk to watch too. And she has her own book. And if you want to learn more more about me, you can go to my website. Uh, it is just AnnaValleRivera.com. And you can learn about, you know, my history, uh, my background, ways to work with me. And if you are interested in the online summit coming up, Carla is one of the speakers and we have 12 amazing speakers with 10 hours of professional development available for early childhood educators. And that you can find on the Early Years Thriving website and that's www.earlyyearsthriving.com slash summit and that's where you can find more info on you know my business early years thriving and me and yeah I just want to say thank you so much Carla for having me um I hope that I've done this topic justice and uh yeah This has been fantastic and all the links will be right below this podcast where you're listening so that you can connect with Anna and continue your trauma-informed care journey. Thank you so much for coming on. 